Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is another exciting installment in our self-care summer series. Again, and I know I sound like a broken record here, but I have to thank you guys for all the feedback. People are really loving the format of these summer series episodes, and you guys are actually making me question everything that I do. (laughs) I will tell you, these episodes take a lot of work, and I think I will be planning next year's series earlier than I did this one, and I'll make sure it's put together and done before the summer hits, so I have less to do during the summer. I've grossly overestimated my free time, but that's actually a good place to introduce the episode too, because I've been so busy with work and school and the podcast, and all of that typically takes place at my desk, and there is a degree of social isolation here in my well-lit, super awesome cave of a basement, and social isolation can be detrimental, as we'll learn more about in this week's self-care summer series episode on... Human contact. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Some of you may be thinking the same thing I was when I was deciding on whether or not to do this topic as a form of self care. After all, human contact implies more than just the self, so does that count? I say yes, because of the impacts you are having on your own mental health and because of how important and timely this topic is, I did not want to miss an opportunity to discuss it with you and really help everyone to understand exactly how important it is to have other people in your life, to hug each other and to experience the hormones and chemicals that come from being around other people that you feel safe with. Given the current timeline and what we've experienced the last two and a half years, Many of you probably heard terms like social isolation on the news, or maybe you just had a moment or two in the last 30 months where you realized how long it had been since you saw another person in front of you and not on a screen. Um, I myself have been working from home since the pandemic started, and while I have Erica, my wife, in the house, there's been an aspect of isolation, and sometimes, especially early on when there were full lockdowns, it felt almost dehumanizing because we, you know, as humans need contact with others, both emotionally and physically, um, in order to survive, you know, and even, even without an ending in sight, there has been no shortage of studies done on the effect of social isolation on people throughout the pandemic. The social isolation that was necessary because of the pandemic wreaked havoc on people's mental health. So it's something I, I feel like systemically we've seen, So my name is Jenny Helms, and I'm a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. Jenny, like all therapists during this time, have seen the results of this isolation firsthand. In fact, there has been a shortage of therapists due to the high demand of mental health professionals during the pandemic, a demand that I hope stays the same or increases as I go through grad school. Of course, studying the effects of people alone versus people together are as old as anthropology, But all of this bears repeating in a society where we get a measurable amount of social connection through a screen. Attachment is really important. Connection is really important. And even through evolution, those who were socially isolated often ended up dying. Like the consequence was usually death or, you know, not having as many resources. So us being connected, our bodies like biochemically reward that. And it was, it's part of actually what, um, helped us survive as a species 
a long time ago. And we haven't really like, people forget that like we used to be tribal species and like we're very, we're a lot more advanced now. And technically you could be on your own and get food delivered to your house and like physically survive quote unquote, but neurochemically that wreaks havoc on our bodies. And we don't get the neuroregulation of being around other individuals and the, and the different things that we need and connection. And, and that does it just, it, it totally depletes our mental health. This effect on mental health is well measured. In the Journal of Aging and Health, it was found that people subjected or forced into isolation from their friends were associated with more depressive symptoms and higher levels of psychological distress. Some of this can be accredited to what happens in the mind and body when people are socially isolated. This is something Dr. Andrew Humerman, professor of neurobiology at Stanford Medicine, regularly discusses. Here's Jenny with a bit more on that. Andrew Huberman was the first person that I've heard discuss this, and now I've heard a couple more neurobiologists or neuroscientists describe what they call tachykinins, which are neuropeptides that are released in the body when we're in social isolation, and so or long periods of social isolation. Um, so there's actually like some biological component that shifts in us, like something shifts in us biologically. It's not just our perception; it's genuinely we're we're creating these neuropeptides and when they've done studies in i know mice are not humans but when they've done studies in mice what they saw was if they have more of these neuropeptides they're angrier they are more depressed they are antisocial sometimes so like they'll actually do things that are antisocial and so it's been kind of interesting to see how we've also seen this play out you know, throughout the pandemic. I mean, people seem to be a little bit more on edge, whether that comes out in anxiety or anger. And, and also it's weird because it becomes this like reinforcing pattern where they'll be more socially isolated. And then again, like the cycle continues. So from a biological level, it's not good for us. It creates more feelings of anger, more feelings of depression, more feelings that can create us or cause us to be what we call antisocial. These chemicals and neural peptides provide some biological reasoning for why, according to an article published in the journal Frontiers in Psychology, they found that loneliness, like that caused by isolation, has been linked to irritability, depression, negative self-thoughts, and a 26% increase in the risk of premature death. So with all these scary and convincing reasons to stop isolating, including the obvious fact that someone with depression is helping to create a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy by continuing to be alone, let's switch the lens and focus on the positives you get out of being around others and the benefits of physical touch. On the opposite side of isolation is socialization and human contact. And these have huge benefits, including the release of a hormone called oxytocin, or what some romantic scientists might call the love hormone. Oxytocin is produced during childbirth and stimulates the muscles of the uterus in women, but it's also released during skin-to-skin contact and during sex. That fun feeling you have when you're holding the person you love or loving the person you hold, that's from oxytocin. Yeah, so with oxytocin, you know, you we require human contact for oxytocin. And that's a really important connection chemical. And I think the other thing too, is we, I mean, we have all these theories and we only know 
a small percentage of what there is to know about all of this. So I'm just talking about the theories and what we've seen as like a species over time. We develop in connection. We actually, our brains develop in relationships. So if a kid does not have like another human around it, they will not develop. And so kids that are severely neglected, you'll see them have the social developments. Like they may not even develop like the ability to speak in certain ways. So severe neglect, like our brain, like we need that as, especially when we're little, especially when we're little, we need to be in connection and be close to develop and become essentially well-formed human beings. In addition to helping us develop connection and the ability to connect with others, physical touch has not only been shown to be linked with higher oxytocin levels, but according to the Journals of Gerontology in an article published just last year, Physical touch has been shown to help lower blood pressure, lead to better sleep, and most recently discovered physical touch could potentially reduce the recurrence of inflammation from illnesses such as those we've seen associated with the coronavirus. There are no shortages of physical touch benefits, but there is the potential awkwardness of putting it into play, right? Like, how do we go out and ensure we are having physical contact with other people I personally went around in sixth grade and asked girls if I could hug them, and I do not recommend this method. I was not a popular child, but there are ways in your everyday life that you can incorporate physical touch. I think when it comes to like physical touch and hugs, because, okay, before I go into that, I think it's also important to note there was a theory about we need four hugs a day for maintenance and eight hugs a day, I think it is for growth. And if you get less than that, that's like actually really bad for your mental health over time. It may start with making sure you're getting those hugs and doing those rituals with like family members in ways that are like safe and appropriate. So for me, and you can even hug, okay, this sounds silly, but you can even hug your dog. Like you being close to your dog and having affection from your dog totally counts. Um, And we have rituals in our house where before we leave, like whether it's to work or sometimes, you know, if he's going off to like, something different. Like we always say goodbye. And part of goodbye is like a hug or a kiss, something like that. Like there's just some sort of physical connection and same thing. When we see each other again, there's the like, Hey, hug, like, you know, it's just like little rituals like that, like kind of building it in and like, just like making sure that you actually, you just build in rituals where you're getting that from people that are close to you. And I even have really good friends at work that often like we hug and it's almost natural, but there are people that we've already developed that safety, like over time, you know, I know obviously if you haven't seen somebody for a while, you're going to have to say, Hey, like, are we hugging again? Where are we at with that? Cause it, it might not be accessible until it is, but once it is making that something that's part of your daily routine in one way or another. I'll be honest. When I heard this, I thought of two people. First, my recently deceased friend, Aaron, who we all called the hippie, hugged everyone. That was his thing. He was a hugger. Sometimes it was nice to have a hug and sometimes it was awkward, but regardless, damn it, you were getting that hug. Then I thought of most of my other guy friends I see these days and how hugging is either a half handshake hug or just not something that's done at all. I think a lot of this is slowly being phased out with each generation, but what do you do with that barrier if someone isn't a hugger or you're not sure, or you're worried it's going to be awkward to just start hugging people all of a sudden. I think the only way to break down that barrier is to just embrace it. Like, cause I think it's only awkward when you kind of make it awkward or, I mean, if you're, it's something you're starting to be like, Hey, like, I, you know, 
I'm just asking people like, Hey, can I hug you? Is that cool? And usually people would say yes. So they're like, no, and be like, cool, fist bump. Like as long as you take the no really well, you know, like, and you take the yes really well and just don't make it a big thing. I think those are the people that become huggers. Cause I see that with women too. There's still, there's still some women I know that like, I'm not going to hug them because that is like, you can kind of see them tense up. And I want to validate that. I do think socially women are, are told and conditioned to be more affectionate and guys are, are told kind of the opposite. So I, I, I just think it becomes like, what's your story around that? Are you cool with hugging? Do you think it's cool to hug a dude? Hug a dude. The more you hug a dude and it's not weird, the more people see people hugging dudes, hugging dudes, and it's fine. Okay, fine. I'm going to start hugging dudes. Get ready, dudes. We're recreating normal. Open your arms and open your hearts. So (laughs) there is something that I mentioned at the top of this episode and something Jenny's touched on too that I want to bring back around at this point, and that is feeling safe. Some people are not touchy-feely people. You may be one of these people. That's fine. Even if you're not hugging everyone at the party, though, I hope you find plenty of physical touch with the small circle of people that you do feel safe around. And another way to think about safety is our own feelings of being socially safe, as in situations with other people and our general ability to be present and hold space. I think of it like it's the way that we feel socially safe, like in our bodies, in our nervous system. And when you think about that, like think about when you don't feel safe, think about when you feel anxious, how much more are you susceptible to not eating well and not feeling well and not sleeping and not perceiving things as, as you normally would and not taking in information. It's crucial. It's like, yes, we can literally breathe and walk around if we don't get physical touch, but if we don't have enough physical touch and oxytocin for our nervous system and our social safety system to be engaged and for us to generally feel relaxed and calm and safe. We're just not functioning at our optimal well-being. And over time, that will impact our relationships, that will impact our physical health. And so I don't think people realize how corrosive it is at changing who you are. Like think about a person in your life that like they walk around and you kind of feel their energy. They feel like you feel like they're stressed all the time. You feel like they're just kind of like buzzing around and not like really there. It's like the difference between that person and then a person you walk into the room and like you just really feel like comfortable and like they're paying attention and they don't have an agenda and they're present. Our nervous system and our ability to feel safe and how we end up engaging with other people in the world shifts so drastically. And that's why it's so important that we have a general feeling of social safety. Physical touch helps with that. It's kind of like, like, it's like exercise and like other things for our body. Like these are the things we need for our nervous system to be healthy. When our nervous system isn't healthy, that impacts our physical well-being. It impacts our relationships because we're going around. Like I know for myself, when I'm super stressed, I am not as good of a friend. I am not, I don't take in information as well. I forget things. I'm more emotionally reactive in ways that I'm not proud to talk about. But when I feel good and socially safe, all of that doesn't happen. I don't get as stressed. I don't get as sick. I connect more with people. The last thing I want to touch on 
get it? <laughs> is how we react to being touched. There is a lot of stuff in that category, and we're not going to discuss it all, but there is proven value in paying attention to your body and how touch impacts you. Is there a certain spot that if touched, you feel your body tense up or you feel extra emotional? Are there certain people who touch you, whether it be a hug or just a hand on your shoulder that make you feel nausea or discomfort or even disgust? These are all important signs to pay attention to. And as you get more comfortable with physical touch and human contact, it should be something you stay open to in the back of your mind. What's interesting is for people who have a lot of physical neglect as kiddos, they tend to have the physical disgust when people try to connect with them physically on an affectionate level. Now it's weird how like sex can almost be its own category, but as far as like actual affection and like hugs and things like that, if you were emotionally or like physically neglected in that way, their nervous system doesn't know, it's not familiar with it. It doesn't know that it's safe. And, and in fact, for some people, their nervous system has been hardwired to think touches a threat. And if, and if we do it with different people, different ways, that may have more to say about what we feel about their safety with us or their safety in general with other people. Because if we observed and something in our nervous system said, they're not safe or they've been um, not safe with us in some way, then our nervous system will react. And it's crazy how much our body keeps the score. I know that's like an overused phrase, but not only keeps the score, but it will, it's the first thing that kind of comes online to respond to something, even before our brain can say, Hey, this doesn't feel safe. Like sometimes our body will have that disgust response before our brain does. Now, Asterisk, that doesn't always mean that the other person is not a safe person. It's just whatever our nervous system has hardwired to think about people touch that person. So it's our perception based on, again, it could be real or perceived things, but for whatever reason, like I think it's it's more important for us to figure out what it means when we recoil from something about that person or that type of touch. But sometimes things are a trauma response. And sometimes that's based on our perceptions, not reality. And so that's where I'd be like, asterisk, be careful, because like, just because you recoil from a person doesn't actually mean they're unsafe. While that response to touch may be a sign of an unsafe person or past trauma, we also have to hold ourselves accountable to figure out if that has something to do with them or something to do with ourselves. And in a lot of ways, that self-discovery and self-awareness is a huge part of, you guessed it, self-care. Huge thanks to Jenny Helms for all of her research and help with these episodes. You can follow her and get a lot more great information on her social media accounts at Jenny Ann Helms. I also want to thank Talia Dalton for the theme song. And a special thanks goes out to all the Patreon supporters out there who keep this show alive and kicking. I'm talking people like Jack, Faustine, or Z, Mandy, Kara, Andy, Michelle, and many, many more. If you want to help out and support the show as well, as you know, maybe you get cool bonus stuff like unreleased episodes or transcripts of the summer series, head over to patreon.com slash friend request pod. It's only about a dollar a month and your contribution goes directly to funding this podcast. We only have four or five of these self-care summer series episodes left, but they will be live on wherever you 
get your podcast. So please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share an episode with a friend if it really made you think or you just really enjoyed the content. I'll talk to you guys next week. But until then, go give someone a hug. And if you see me, give me a hug. But in, yeah, that's that's fine. I'm fine with it. Hug me. Okay. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>